Welcome to the Women on the Rise podcast. I'm Jen Blandos, and I am so excited to share with you that for the next 30 days, I am introducing you to 30 of Female Fusions members from around the world. They're going to share with you their stories of entrepreneurship, their highs, the lows, what inspired them to get into business, which I hope will inspire you along your entrepreneurial journey. Welcome to the Women on the Rise podcast and this is part of our special series where we are featuring 30 female entrepreneurs from Female Fusion where we share their stories about the highs and the lows of owning their own business. And today I am joined by Pamela Lilburn who is the founder of Linen Obsession in Dubai. Pamela, welcome to the show. Good morning, Jen. I'm so delighted to be here with you. I'm so mm. delighted too. Mm. Lennon Obsession is your business. Yeah. You mm. have been building the business. It's had many different forms over the years. Maybe for anybody who doesn't mm. know Lennon Obsession or for those that are outside of the UAE, mm. maybe you could give us a bit of history of the business. Yeah, sure. So I started um, the, com- the company before Lennon Obsession about 15 years ago. So I came to Dubai from Australia. Um, my background was always in home textiles. And for a company um, based in Australia, I obtained for them the Esprit home license for the Middle East. So, you know, the fashion brand that was as bigger than Zara and H&M oh, before yeah. that. Esprit it, was like all the rage, especially yeah. for our generation. <laughs> it was absolutely huge. Yeah. So the opportunity came up. So we had the Berlin and license for the region. Um, and then the story started that Esprit in Germany asked me to come over and do a roadshow to all of their home category license partners because we built this really successful bed linen business in the Middle East. And they were like, come, you know, come and tell our other partners how they can come and build a business in the Middle East as well. Well, I did yeah. the roadshow. I, I, I'm interested as well. Have you got a background in linens or of retail? Course. Okay, so yes. you had that experience in Australia before you came to the Middle East? Correct. So I was already, I worked with Sheridan Australia, where I was already looking after the Middle East retailers, working with that global business. And then I also worked with another, an actual textile factories. So there was a lot of textile manufacturing in Australia. So then I worked with another textile uh, manufacturer who had um, the owned Dry Glow, Dry Glow brand for Australia. And then we got the Esprit license for them for the Middle East. Wow. Yeah. And so you had this... Roadshow. They wanted to yes. know all about how to set up a business in yeah. the Middle East. And so I did the roadshow. And at the end of it, they all just said to me, Pamela, you obviously know what you're doing. Why don't you just become our distributor for us? So I had about five or six Esprit Home ca- other categories, non-linens, say, Pamela, look after our business for us. So I went back to my company in Australia and I said, guys, we've got a great opportunity. All these Esprit companies, Esprit Carpets, Esprit um, home decoration accessories, even Esprit stationery. Um, it was even Esprit Lights. All these categories um, want to set up business in the Middle East and they want us to represent them. And of course, probably no surprise, the textile factory in Australia said, well, we don't want to do that. We're a textile factory. <laughs> we mm. make bed linen. And then I just saw there was this wonderful opportunity. Um, and I saw that D- Dubai was developing quickly But I thought there was just such a rosy future. It wasn't quite ready for me to come and start a company at that point. But I thought, if I don't come now, it's probably five years too early. If I don't come now, everyone will find other 
um, solutions, other distribution partners, and the opportunity will be lost. So then I resigned from my job. I told them I'm coming to Dubai. I'm setting up my own company to distribute home-to-home textiles. um, And can I represent you? And they had nobody else, so they said yes. So I came to Dubai, and it was all rosy. Um, for about the first four months until the global <laughs> financial crisis hit. So I registered a company in Jebel Ali because mm-hmm. in those days there weren't many free zone opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. This and was 2008? 2008. Yeah. Six months later, the global financial crisis hit. I wouldn't have come had it been six months later. Um, everything was booming when I arrived. Within 12 months, the roads were empty. There was a mass exodus from Dubai, which wasn't Dubai's fault. It was just a global financial crisis. And, yeah, and I was here and I was just committed to making it work because I'd literally sold a house in Australia to to put up the money to not have the stable income and to buy the trading stock. Wow. So I had to make it work. It's amazing how we as entrepreneurs do that, that, Mm. you know, you have the vision and you're prepared to take that risk. Yeah. And that's quite a big risk that you sold your house, took the money for your house and said, I'm going to set up this business in the UAE. And back then as well, so we're talking 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. It was a very different place from what it is today. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was fortunate because um, through working with Sheridan Australia, I was already familiar with distribution with Debenhams and Grand Stores and the the key leading um, linen retailers across the region. Like we had great Saudi partners, etc. So I already had very solid business experience. And I was very lucky that I had experience in all aspects of the business, from supply chain, shipping, Um, brand management, how to manage retail concession stores, how to manage wholesale, export sales, the whole thing. I had a lot of experience across most areas of the business, except marketing. I had none. (laughs) I I think marketing is the frustration of so many SMEs Mm. across the board. You know, we, when we talk to our members, the biggest challenge that they have is marketing. Yeah, I would agree with that, absolutely. Yeah. And it, the problem with marketing is the results aren't as obvious immediately. It's hard to directly track the results and it's very time-consuming. It's time-consuming and also what works is always changing as well. Yeah. That's I think that's my biggest frustration is that you work something out and you've got something that's working for your business and then mm. three months later it doesn't work anymore. Mm. <laughs> Look, I'm by no means a marketing expert, but what I've decided is that the secret of marketing is to change what you do every six months or at least every 12 months. Yeah. Because if you do a certain amount of marketing, for example, business groups, a lot of networking, that's great. Well, those people have seen you. Correct. So there's no point keeping on doing that. So yeah. now what am I going to do that's different? So, for example, for one year, I did a whole lot of radio advertising across four radio stations in the UAE in English and Arabic. It was brilliant that people... Um, often then knew about Linen Obsession just because of our radio campaigns. But there's no point in me continuing to do that the second year because everyone's people heard, heard you. Yeah. So now it's time to do something else. So then we worked more with PR agencies, more about print media, more about getting our story told about our new retail store concept. 
Mm. Yeah, and about how we help people have better sleep. I mean, it, it is, it, that's one of the things is that, mm. as you said, you do need to to mix it up a lot um, mm. because if your audience has heard the same thing again and again and again, they're going to start to tune out. So mm. you've got to find other ways to, to engage with them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, with marketing, it's also consistency. So this is where a lot of small businesses struggle because marketing, as you said, is so time consuming. Mm. And if you don't schedule it, if you don't plan it in advance and you're doing more ad hoc activities, that it's very difficult to be consistent around that as well. It is. And it takes quite a lot of time to build your in-house expertise as well. And what I've found is when you try and work with external marketing people, even if they're fantastic at what they do, it actually takes them quite a long time to get what your business is about what your voice sounds like, yeah. what you look like, and you end up doing a lot of editing, which at the end it's of the day you say, well, maybe right? I should just be training someone in-house to do that. Yeah. So the balance between in-house and external, um, you know, it's quite tricky to get that right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree with you as well. Yeah. And we do all of ours in-house for that reason as well, because we have tried both. And mm. People don't get it in the same way as that person who's sitting in your office and experiences what it's like and meets your customers or meets your clients, understands yeah. your values about how you run the business, how you treat your customers, that mm -hmm. if somebody's sitting in an agency, they don't get that in the same they way. Don't. And you're successful because you're passionate. You're yes. successful because you have a clear vision. Yeah. And no one else can replicate that passion as well. And that's a challenge. How do we communicate that passion that we have? Well, I, and I find too, and, you know, I'm by all means not perfect and mm. still something that's working on, but I've been spending a lot of time on communicating consistently to the team about what it is that we're doing and why it is yeah, that we're so doing important. it. Yeah. Because you could just be talking about, oh, we have to promote this. But if people look at it and go, why? You know, what? why are we doing this? You know, this is just so annoying that you're asking me to communicate it. But if you talk about how it links to the business and this is, you know, three steps down the line, this is why we're doing this because mm. we need to create awareness for that. And this is what's happening later in the year. Because mm -hmm. if you don't do that, and I find that external people in particular don't get that in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, you have your business now, your, your eight figures as mm -hmm. a, as a business. And a lot of entrepreneurs will look at that and go, well, how did she do that? Mm -hmm. How, if I have a vision for a business, how would I one day be able to get my business to be at eight figures? Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on what helped you get to, to eight figures? Yeah. Um, I would suggest that you would have that as a plan from the beginning. <laughs> so, and you right. should yeah yes. absolutely because running a business um you know you, you don't want to muck around you don't want to just try something small and see if it works your idea is to replicate and replace uh the income you could earn working for someone else running their business plus more plus building equity in that business as well so you should have the same salary as working for another company in parallel to that, you should be receiving profit. And in addition to that, you should be building value and an asset in a saleable business 
whether you sell it or not is a different matter or when you sell it. So if you're doing all of these three things, the financial upside of being an entrepreneur and having your own business is fantastic and kind of a no-brainer that you would do it. Yeah, but you can't. You have to start with that vision in sight. So for me, because I guess I came from medium-sized corporate world anyway, because mm. um, the companies I worked with, like Sheridan Australia, I don't know what it is now, something like a hundred million dollars, you know, Australian dollars. So you know, they're decent companies, like tens of millions of dollars companies I've worked with. So I always wanted to build a medium-sized company. I never wanted to build a small company, and so that always. Um, gave the direction and the strategy for the company. And so in order to do that, you need to build strategic relationships. You need to build the infrastructure. You need to be working with global brands, how you want to always present yourself as a as a corporate. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's definitely the goal is important because then that drives your, your problem solving to get there is based on what is the goal you've set. Correct. So think big. <laughs> it's exactly. my first thing. But I, my, 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 so may I was going to, um, just before you sure. say that, just to add on to that, so many businesses don't have that vision mm-hmm. and they don't even, even because I've run exercises sometimes where mm-hmm. I've said to, to entrepreneurs, where do you want your business to be in three mm-hmm. years, five years, 10 years? And they're like, I don't know, making money. Yeah. And you know that if you don't have that vision, that it's very difficult to plan for your business because you don't know where your business is going. Like if you want to play small, if you want to have more of a a lifestyle business that gives you a great salary, but you're like, no, I'm I'm happy keeping it this size, Mm. which there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But then if you have this vision that you want to be a 10, 15, 100 million a year mm. in revenue business, there needs to be a plan behind that. Definitely. Not just a wish. Yeah. <laughs> I think being an entrepreneur running a business is always about problem solving. It's always about trying new things every year, having new strategy. And some things work, some things don't. But you're definitely going to have to adapt. There's no question of that. So I came to the Middle East to set up an Esprit business, um, which should have been enough. It was the biggest brand on the planet (laughs) at that point, you know, for for homewares. It was extraordinarily successful. And little did I know that the global financial crisis would come. Little did I know that Zara Zara would come and Zara Home and H&M and somehow Esprit would fall off their perch. And I would have to find other brands and there were no other brands that I could find to work with at that point. Obviously, I love Sheridan Australia. It's a great brand, but the design direction, their pricing model, the ownership of that company at the time in Australia wasn't going to work for me. Um, And so I... Then for two, took me two years, I lobbied Christy in England um, that I would like to take over and launch your relaunch your business in the Middle East. At the time, they were only doing about 25 or 30,000 US dollars per year in the region. It was wow. nothing. Um, took me two years to convince them <laughs> to trust me and, and, and hand, it, you know, hand over you know, the, the distribution rights. So we did that. And then in the last 10 years, I think about 10th year now, we've actually built that to be the biggest brand 
in the region. It's the best-selling brand in every linen store it's in, every department store it's in. Wow. And um, we're actually the largest market for them outside of the UK. Um, and that's really a partnership that Linen Obsession has done with Christie. And we do a whole lot of work with their design team in special production runs, special designs just for the golf. Interesting. Yeah, because the tastes are different in this region, right? You have to adapt. You have to adapt to the local taste and the local preferences. So we will do a line of linen, which is especially um, designed for the, the Arab female aesthetic, Hmm. actually. Wow. And that's incredible that they they were prepared to do that because I think a lot of times, especially with these big international brands, Mm. they're often not prepared to localize things in that way. So that's amazing that you had that voice and were able to convince them. Yeah, I I think it starts by, um, by modifying products in a way that's not too painful for the brand. Mm. So luckily my background is in textile design, so I un- not textile design, but textile production. I've worked for those companies. I've seen the people putting the product development together. So you kind of understand already what are the constraints of manufacturing. And so at what level can I customize that they can do for me without me having to buy 5,000 meters of fabric? Yes. So you can start off in a small way because I understand the supply chain. I understand some of the processes in making the products. But then through our important partnerships with retailers like Debenhams, we have the volume. This is also important. So we need to have the volume and the strategic partnerships here so that then I can go back to the brand and say, hey, what you're giving us is great, but we're missing 40% of the sales opportunity here. So what can we do together? Um, to really satisfy the needs of this market. So, for example, Christie here is more premium than the UK. We do a lot more premium offer, off, offers or, you know, high-thread cards, et cetera. And we also take the range wider as well, as well as specific designs for the region. So it's a really successful collaboration with them. Yeah, I think a lot of people listening to this, um, especially if they're within your industry and maybe others as well, mm. A question I hear a lot of times from business owners is they want to understand how they can have those partnerships or um, work with specific retailers to get their product within a store. What has been your secret to that? Because you've managed to develop very strong relationships throughout the the region in a number of different Mm -hmm. shops. If somebody was wondering how they would go about that. What would be your tips for success with that? Yes. Um, the partnerships are really, really important. Yeah, and they, I think they're the backbone of our business, certainly. Like the partnerships with Josh and Miles, really important. That's a wonderful partnership, um, as well as Debenhams, British Home Stores, etc. And so it is difficult to get into these retailers, I have to say. So you have to be a product category expert. It doesn't mean that you need decades of experience like I have, but you have to study the category. You have to study the range in store, study the brands, the price level. You have to find what is the gap in their business and present to them a solution about, this is what I see your business is doing well. This is the gap that I see. And this is the service or the support that my company can provide you um, that will enhance your overall sales figures. Because they don't, if they've already, for example, if Levi Jeans is already doing really well in the store, there's no point you coming in, for example, with guest jeans. 
if they're going to take the same customer because they don't yeah. want to split the sales. So the question is, what is your angle that grows their overall sales or brings them a customer demographic that they don't already have? That's also a really nice angle. So if you're going to do that, then you need to have some brand collateral, some communication. For example, if we do a brand launch, because we are introducing new brands all the time, that's also part of the value we add to the department store. So we bring them Christie, the best-selling brand, but we look at their department store, we look at what they're missing, we fill the gaps, absolutely. And we're always introducing some newness within brands and new brand every season as well. So they know through us, they'll get the newness. So we become a very invaluable supplier. And that's what I would say to people is, how can you become an invaluable supplier? And doing that, that research and looking at it as mm. well, because a lot of business owners don't do that research. And I hear from people who are on the other mm. side who say, you know, I get these email pitches or I have people mm. turn up and they're not pitching to me properly. They're not talking about where the value is, talking about where the gaps are. Um, so that's really valuable for people yeah. to know that. And the other thing that's really important that a lot of people won't think about is that if you want to sell to more than one retailer, then you need to establish your retail price positioning and you need to communicate that retail price to the retailers because they want to know that if my store has your product and another store has the product, that they're not going to be selling at 30% lower than me and leave me embarrassed and my customers thinking that I'm overpricing things. Mm. And they want to know as well that if, you, if they buy the product from you, that you're, and they're selling it, for example, 100 dirhams, that you're not going to be offering it online at 30% off every second week. So that integrate, that setting the pricing, retail price positioning, which you might think, oh, I can't tell the retailers that, actually they will respect that, that you're being professional with your brand. Right. Yeah. That That's actually very valuable too. Another area that small mm. businesses get stuck on is pricing. Yeah. And I guess think too that oh well I could give it to the store at that but then I'm going to put it for sale cheaper on my website no well, you cannot <laughs> why does the store want to why does the store want to deal with you then absolutely yeah yeah now I want to switch from talking about business and I want to talk about sleep because mm. you are in the business of sleep mm. anyways you absolutely. provide beautiful bed linens and pillows and duvets for us to get a great sleep and we're, we've been talking about this a lot in Female Fusion because as female entrepreneurs, we work a lot mm. and people are not getting enough sleep. What would be, is there anything on the side of how we set up the way that we sleep that can help us get a better sleep? Mm, absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad you asked this question. Uh, it's really an area that I feel quite passionate about. Um, Sleep is so critical, and I think there's been so much more awareness of it recently. I think since um, Matthew Williamson made his best-selling book, Why We Sleep, mm. and I think the scientists for the last couple of decades now have suddenly been decoding sleep. And, you know, they were saying maybe it's a mistake of evolution that we need to go comatose for a third of our lives. What does it do? <laughs> and now they've actually worked out how critical it is for every aspect of your health and your, your, your mental abilities and even your emotional well-being. And they recommend, you, ideally, um, between seven and nine hours sleep per night. But quality sleep is the key, yeah? 
Um, And if you're not getting, you know, at least six to seven hours quality sleep every night, all of your health factors will be decreased, yeah? So your incidence of cancer is doubled, your uh, digestive system doesn't work properly, your appetite-suppressing hormones don't work properly, you know, you'll put on weight. Um, Your sugar levels can be pre-diabetic, you're not getting a solid six or seven hours sleep every night which is really a difficult issue in this region with a high level of diabetes yeah yeah and more importantly in that even your hormone profile will be up to 10 years older than your actual age what? now think about that oh my goodness for women of a certain age you don't want your hormones to be acting 10 years older so, so how we sleep is really important and the quality of the sleep is absolutely critical um, we recently opened our flagship store called Linen Obsession in Motive City Centre. I know you know that, Jen. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I wanted to do here was to create an absolute destination for people who love quality linen, right, um, but also a destination for sleep solutions. So in this store, not only have we put together wonderful linen that's going to make your bed look great and we can help you do that for the luxury, you know, hotel at home experience. That's easy for us to do. But more importantly, sleep is about function. And the issues people have about getting a good night's sleep can be addressed in your bedding setup. It's absolutely critical. Really? So the main things that we see, um, so many people talk about temperature regulation issues. Yeah. This is such a difficult one only because we're in the UAE or the Gulf, which is high humidity. Mm -hmm. High temperature, high humidity. The humidity changes every day. Even if your AC is perfect tonight, it's not going to be perfect tomorrow night because the outside temperature is different, the humidity is different. Even if it's perfect when you go to sleep, it's not going to be perfect for every hour of the night. And so how you put together your batting is absolutely critical to give you the options to manage your temperature through the night. And this... So would that be through things like um, using specific duvets um, to sleep with with, and different types of materials to help with that breathability as well? Yeah, so there's a whole number of solutions. So perhaps I can give my bed as an example. It's probably the easiest way. Now, (laughs) excuse me if this is a bit over the top, but I do own a linen and bedding business. So you are allowed to have like the... (laughs) You're allowed to have the Beyonce version of a bedroom for sure. (laughs) And also we're very fortunate because we deal with some of the best bedding companies in the world. And I particularly look for very authentic brands with a great history of technical, high quality technical production, but also innovators who are working with the universities on the latest sleep science as well. So I love some of the technical innovations that are available these days. So don't think about sleep. Um, and about your bedding the way you did 10 or 20 years ago, it's time to re-look at it. There's so much more sleep research. There's so much better products now with much more technical innovation that can help you to get a better night's sleep. Okay, yeah? so what does Pamela's okay. what does Pamela's sleeping solution look okay, like? Okay, so for me, so my so of course your mattresses have usually quite a high polyester content. Yeah, mm-hmm. normally the covers are polyester. Great strong fabric. Um, but not good for breathability or, yeah. Um, it tends to be the mattress will actually keep heating it, as will your pillows as well. So the first thing I do is on top of my mattress, I have a mattress protector um, with the Outlast, the NASA Space Program technology, the printed microcapsules that manage your temperature regulation throughout your sleep to keep between 36 and 30, so between 37 that degrees. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. So it won't go too high and it won't go too low. Okay. So you should be sitting around that 37 degrees. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's the first thing. On my pillow, I also have a um, pillow protector with the same temperature regulating microcapsules. So not just cooling. Actually, if I get too hot, they cool me. If I get too cool, they release heat. And it's a natural mineral composition. It's amazing. Then on top of that, I have a silk pillowcase because cotton is amazing to sleep with, but it draws moisture. It sleeps by absorbing moisture. So, sorry, it cools you by absorbing moisture. So, it's not so you good don't for our want skin. it to take the moisture out of your skin <laughs> and your hair. So, I put a sleep uh, silk pillowcase on top, but that's all on a contour pillow, which is specially designed foam that distributes the weight of the head, supports the neck, distributes the weight of the head. So, I found occasionally I was waking up with a sore neck. And I didn't understand how important that was until I got this incredible pillow. Um, It's from Sanders of Germany. Again, they're using um, NASA technology on the special foam of it, distributes the weight of the head. And when I first went to sleep with it, not only did my head feel weightless, but I actually had this incredible calm knowing that I was not going to wake up with a sore neck. Actually, that creates stress at the time you go to bed. It's yeah. quite interesting. It's interesting. And one of the things I heard as well, one of our members is uh, a physiotherapist who also does facial acupuncture. Okay. So rather than having Botox, you can have facial acupuncture. Sounds like a better idea oh, exactly. <laughs> to me. Yeah. And she was saying to me that the way that we sleep and the type of pillow that we have can also impact the wrinkles that you get on your face and on your neck. And she was saying that that is just as important as well when you're looking at, you know, getting all these expensive facials or having acupuncture. She's like, you have to follow through with the whole thing. It is the pillow, the proper pillowcase, how you're sleeping. The proper posture. So you want your, your spine to be aligned naturally because all of your nerves come out between your vertebrae. So you want your body to heal during deep sleep. So you want all of your nerves and your blood circulation to to flow freely in your body. So that means a good neck and spine posture. And, oh, sorry. Sorry, I was I was just going to say it's incredible how much innovation has been done. There is so much innovation. And then for my um, duvet, so this idea of just a duvet to sleep under is so easy, but I don't think it's very effective for sleeping in the UAE. Now, I say that, obviously, we sell so many duvets and duvet covers, and I'm not saying not to buy a duvet, but I'm saying you need more options when you sleep because the worst thing that can happen is that you wake up too hot. This is so common for people. Now, once you wake up too hot, you're going to take off the duvet. Mm. That's nice for a few minutes. But then you're going to wake up again later because you're too cold. Now, you're just destroying your deep sleep cycles. Yep, so we sleep in um, cycles about one and a half hours. We go, you know, we have deep sleep phases, we have light sleep phases, and you can't afford to mess up those cycles because that deep sleep is so critical to restore your body and your tissues. So what can you do to avoid, first of all, better fabrics better solutions so you don't wake up too hot or too cold, but also options during the night. So if you do wake up, how can you fix it instantly without getting out of bed, without putting the light on, yeah, so that you can instantly go back to sleep for the rest of the night? So what's the solution? So the first solution is I thoroughly recommend to everybody you need a flat sheet. 
Okay. It's not that common in this area, but that flat sheet gives you one layer of fabric which will keep your body temperature in, mm -hmm. but the cold air conditioning won't touch your body. Right. Have a flat sheet under the duvet cover. And then the duvet on top. Yes, that's a that's basic. If you want to okay. be more advanced, then I would put a cotton blanket, a thin right. cotton blanket on top of the flat sheet under the duvet. So again, if the duvet is too hot, you take off the duvet and you've got a very thin cotton blanket on top of your cotton sheet. And that is going to let your body regulate its own temperature perfectly. Um, but actually what I even do for my duvet, I have this incredible duvet, which they developed with the universities in Germany to allow all of the excess heat from your body to escape it. Wow. And it's got ventilation zones within the duvet. It's amazing. And is it uh, natural fibers? It's 100% down. Okay. Yeah. On an incredible cotton um, cover all made in Germany with ventilation zones that they designed with the sleep scientist in wow. the sleep studios. And they found with this setup, people were getting, you know, at least double the deep sleep cycles. Who would have known that, the we, amount were, of time. that yeah. we were doing it all wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, the so, so sort of areas we talk about um, in Alien Obsession Stories, we talk about what are the issues that people have that could affect their sleep. For mm. some people, it's temperature. Other people is allergies. It's exceptionally common. Yeah. Other people, it might be about the right neck support. So we obviously offer a whole range of different solutions of types of pillows, but we'll talk with the customer about it and a bed to try it on as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what a business you have created. Mm. And, you know, it, it is a relatively short period of time that you've built up Linen Obsession to be that the business that it is because it was a completely different business to what yes. it is now mm. and I think like congratulations it's it's amazing what you have achieved with that just before we wrap up sure. I would love to have maybe your top tips for entrepreneurs either getting into the entrepreneurship game or they have their business what would be your top tips for success sure. in having a business? Um, well, I would say, first of all, that not everybody is suitable to running their own business. Yep. And I don't mean that badly, but I would say that. And I, in, this is only my opinion, but there's certain attributes that are absolutely essential. And the attributes you need is you need to um, have a vision or a goal. Um, you need to believe in yourself to achieve that. Yeah. And in that goal or in you're so determined to achieve that goal that you will keep problem solving until you get there. So you do need to be either a positive person who's very goal driven or develop those skills first. Yeah. Um, secondly, I would say it's much easier to develop a business in an area where you already have expertise. It's exceptionally difficult to make a business in an area you know nothing about. Or if you do, choose to do that, you're going to have to do a lot of study of your category, the competitors, and find yourself mentors in that industry who can share the experience with you. Because no matter what your business is, it has to be successful in that industry landscape. Yeah. yeah. And the last thing I'd say is your business has to solve a real need. Now, obviously, the tips I'm giving show I'm quite practical. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I mean, it, look, what you're saying aligns very much with me. I think you and I are both very, very practical in business and it is, it, it is important and it is important to be real about mm. that. And when yeah. I hear people saying, well, I want to set up a business, but I don't know what it is going to be. I know I want to make money. Um, but do you know somebody who could give me a loan to start my business? No. Like, no. <laughs> That's the, you're going in that with the wrong yeah. intention and it's okay. Not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur and, Absolutely. you know, and I have this conversation at home because my husband will sometimes say to me, he's like, oh, you know, I would love to have the flexibility that, you know, you could go somewhere and work from somewhere rather than be in the office. And then mm. he's like, but I don't want all the other stuff that goes with it. (laughs) And he even said to me, so I'm better being an employee. I don't want that responsibility Mm. because it is, you take on a lot of responsibilities when you become an entrepreneur. And I I know that when all of us with our seven and eight figure businesses, when we meet, those are the conversations sometimes that it is amazing to have a business, but it can also feel really heavy sometimes when you have the responsibility for lots of other people and, mm. you know, everything else that goes on with your business. It's not, it's not always easy. No, it's not always easy at all. And I think the one thing we haven't mentioned is the finances. So the finances is the most important thing. It's not a hobby. It has to be income generating. And before you even leave your job or invest a cent, or register a company, you need to do your financial forecast realistically of, you know, what is your service or product? What price are you selling it at? What are your costs? What's your cost per product or cost per service actually? What's the profit you're going to make? Because otherwise you've got nothing to measure against. Right. And it's very easy to just go and rent an office and here's this money and, oh, suddenly there's all these other costs. It needs to be in the plan, very importantly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that not all women are as strong at. I think a lot of humans in general are not strong at. I I think, you know, women, yes. um, Because I think sometimes Mm. a lot of women are very good at it. Mm. But, and I speak very openly about this that Mm. I failed maths when I was in school and for, a number of years owning businesses that I put my head in the sand Mm. with money. And I think that if I wouldn't have done that, that my businesses would have grown even faster than what they did if I had a better understanding. So it's very important to know We all make those mistakes. I mean, I I wanted to grow a medium-sized business. So I made a beautiful office and I made a bed linen showroom. I needed showings with 10 beds, you know, which takes so much time and effort to do because I wanted to look so professional and look right. like a middle-sized company and I just opened an office. You know, that was crazy. I would never yes. do that again. Yes. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. have to learn along the way. Absolutely. absolutely. Mm. But it's an incredible journey. It's a great journey. Yeah. Pamela Lovburn, thank you so much mm. for sharing all of your insights with us today. Thank you, Jen. I really enjoyed chatting with you this morning. Thanks for listening to the Women on the Rise podcast and our 30 most inspiring female entrepreneurs. If you are inspired by today's episode, why not come and join us in Female Fusion? We would absolutely love to have you. This is where you will be able to connect with the most incredible female entrepreneurs who are all committed to building a most profitable business. All you need to do is head over to femalefusionnetwork.com forward slash join. I look forward to seeing you on the inside.